You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Lowe Show. It's so good to have you. I am Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. Welcome. It's been a fun-filled, packed morning. I'm here at Shine seeing patients all day today. And um, yeah, I carve out a time midday for me to hop on here, do my intro, have my lunch, and uh, just connect with you guys. Today at the office, it is a adrenal fatigue day. All my patients this morning have been just dragging, waking up really tired, just having a tough time kind of getting through the day. So that's the theme. I feel like there's always a theme for the day. Um, it's been pretty interesting. So my patients this morning, the main things I'm noticing that's causing their fatigue is adrenal stress. And, you know, we know that the adrenal glands, they help deal with, you know, balancing out our stress response, how we kind of handle uh, the different things that come at us throughout, throughout the day. And, you know, I think right now there's so many curveballs being thrown at us that we haven't really been used to dealing with. And so as a result, we've had to make some adjustments just on how the day is being, you know, navigated, making sure that, that enough rest is happening and good foods. And especially the theme today has been low blood sugar crashes. So just making sure that, you know, patients are eating enough protein and fats and fiber, just basics. It's amazing how just the basics do so much to help support you. And I'm sure you guys listening are going, oh crap, when did I last eat? When did I last have water? <laughs> I need to fuel myself. Because, you know, when there's so much that we're constantly thinking about and all the fires we're putting out throughout the day, sometimes just the basics don't happen. Like breathe, drink water, have food. <laughs> it's like our bodies still need the same stuff no matter how just, I guess, complicated our lives get. Our bodies are still very, very simple. So yeah, for a couple of my ladies this morning, they have adrenal fatigue. So we put them on some herbs that'll help to boost that. And they both tested low for B vitamins. We did some you know, supplementation and some changes to their diet. It's just amazing how sometimes the most basic, simple changes make such a huge difference. I wanted to mention for you guys listening, if you feel like there's something going on, if you're not feeling great, there's a reason for it. It's not because you're getting old. I hate people say that. I think it's just old age. Like, no, you can feel great at any age. Um, there's something going on. So if you are wanting to get some testing done and look into things, I would be happy to work with you. I can work with you if you are local in San Diego or if you are not local. We can do things over the phone. You get labs done in your area. It's all very doable. So I had mentioned on a previous show that I'm going to be doing a my 40th birthday special um, to celebrate my birthday because I want more of you guys to be able to get some of the testing done and, and just get some help. We're all needing it right now. So if you wanted to book a visit and get some testing, do an intake with me, get a treatment plan, all of that good stuff, there is a $50 special that I'm doing for patients. It was supposed to be actually till the end of February, but I did skip a week on a podcast episode. So I'm going to extend that until mid-March. So I will do that all the way until March 19th. So that's, no, sorry, March 12th, sorry, two weeks. I'm going to extend it two weeks. So if you give the office a call and say, hey, I wanted to do the Dr. Lowe 40th birthday special, you'll get $50 off your first patient appointment. 
and then we can we can do it a, a sit down, either phone or in person. We can talk about what's going on with you, how you're feeling, when you notice things started, and run some labs, get to the root of the issue. What's cool as a naturopathic doctor, I don't just prescribe medications, right? There's more than that as, as a tool to help you feel better. If I have to, I will, but most of the time I don't. It's usually geared towards addressing diet and your lifestyle, you know, your exercise habits, your sleep habits, the foundational stuff. And then the fancy stuff on top of that would be like supplementation. If you're local, you know, doing like IV therapy or shots as needed for, you know, nutrient deficiencies and, you know, detox programs going from there. So it's really about getting to the root of the problem and, and helping the body to get healthier on its own so it can do what it's designed to do, which is to be healthy. So yeah, check us out, shinenaturalmedicine.com. You can set up a visit there and we can get you feeling awesome again. Last thing before we get into the meat of the show, I want to give some love to Paleo Valley, our show sponsor, and tying it to the topic for this show, I want to talk about some things that you can add into your routine to help really step it up for nutrition. Actually, I'll just mention one because I'm taking a long time on this intro. <laughs> so the superfoods, um, the organic super greens of Paleo Valley, Mix is my favorite greens powder I've ever used, and I've used a lot. Um, but no, the superfood greens powder is something that I recommend for my patients. I have Zion, my son, doing it. It is gut-friendly, so it has enzymes to help you break it down, because sometimes these greens powders can be kind of hard to digest for some people. It doesn't have cereal grasses, so like wheatgrass, barley, oat, rye grasses. Sometimes people can't digest these as well, and so it doesn't have that, but it has a ton of other stuff. So it has kale, broccoli, spirulina, spinach kale sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens. It sounds disgusting, but I promise you it's, it's actually really good. It's a powder. You add it in some water, put it in your smoothie. I give it to Zion and he likes it. So that's always my taste test. And it's just really, really clean. It's certified organic, antioxidant rich. It is gently dried. So it uh, preserves the nutrients. It's gluten, grain-free, soy-free, non-GMO. So check it out over at paleovalley.com. If you want to get your discount 15%, you can enter Dr. Lowe, D-R-L-O, and you will get hooked up. All right, let's jump into the show and talk all about natural solutions to autism. Let's do it. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So we are doing a topic that we've never done before, which I'm really happy about. I love changing it up and keeping it fresh. So we have Dr. Ari Calhoun. She's on the show. She is a pediatric naturopathic doctor, and she's also a mom herself. She's the founder of Kith and Kin Wellness, her private medical practice located in San Diego, which is where I am as well. She specializes in pediatric neurodevelopment and immune system disorders, including autism, ADHD, autoimmunity, and eczema. She believes in taking a proactive approach towards children's health, and this is why preconception care and vaccine counseling have become a pivotal aspect of her practice. Her background in research has supported her in turning complex information into tangible steps for her patients, and she believes in a comprehensive multi-system approach, which includes exploration of environmental toxicity, gut health, nutrient balance, and dietary factors, underlying infections, and prenatal and early life environment, which is a huge focus that I have with my practice as well. It's putting it all together. You're not just walking in with one symptom. It's all connected. 
And so, yeah, looking forward to diving into this topic. Dr. Ari, thank you for being my guest. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this episode and, and talking about this further. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is a topic that more and more information comes out about it all the time. We're learning more about it. And mm -hmm. I also really think that naturopathic medicine has never been needed more than it is now, especially in the area of autism. So I'm looking forward to getting all into it, all of the details and everything. But before we get into it, I want to just ask about why this is a topic you're interested in. Why, you know, why is this a big focus you have with your practice? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about this kind of preparing for this episode and realizing that really these focus in autism really found me more than I found it. Mm -hmm. I did not go into my medical practice or career really thinking about specializing in autism. However, I did know that upon entering into naturopathic medicine that I wanted to specialize in complex chronic illness. So I myself developed an autoimmune disorder at a very young age and I was really shuffled. And I think many of us have a similar story where we were shuffled from specialist to specialist, not getting the answers. And I was really kind of disillusioned with the medical care system and how it did not really connect the dots. All of my symptoms were segregated and we weren't seeing the body as a whole. And so I really wanted to be that type of a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor who specialized in chronic illness. And so when I started my career, that's what I was doing. And I just happened to see younger and younger patients. And at that time I was pregnant with my daughter and I just realized that this was kind of the destiny. We see so many of these chronic illnesses increasing in rates. And I didn't want that for my daughter. I really wanted to understand why we were seeing a greater number of children suffering with autoimmunity and autism and other types of immune system and, you know, um, developmental disorders. So I kind of found my way into autism and of all of the chronic conditions in childhood, autism is probably the most complex. So there's a lot to it, and I'm sure we'll get into that more. But I just found it really interesting. And I also found that these parents weren't being supported in the appropriate ways. And there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects to autism care that are really profound and can really change the trajectory of this child's life if implemented early enough. And so I just found it a, to be really exciting and just love being able to work with these families. They are incredible and just love being able to watch their, their child, you know, just kind of go through this and, and gain new milestones, gain, you know, new aspects of their life that they would not otherwise have if they didn't address those root causes. Absolutely. Well, you are so needed by parents of a child who has autism because there's the information you provide is so rare out there. It's not something that them going to a conventional doctor that they would bring up. And there's not a lot of naturopathic doctors or functional medicine doctors that do have a focus in autism. So hopefully for the listeners tuning in, they're able to get some helpful kind of tidbits that you can take away from this. So let's talk a little bit more about, for one, what is, what is autism? And is this something that we're seeing more than we used to be seeing? And, and why is there a change maybe in what the rates look like as well? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, autism is a really complex developmental disorder, and it really impacts an individual's social skills. It can impact their communication, their relationship, can impact their emotional self-regulation. Essentially, what it is, it's a collection of symptoms. And I think this is what makes it so difficult to really understand where to treat autism, because we're not necessarily identifying the underlying pathology or how it comes about. And we see this with a number of other 
disorders out there such as, you know, PCOS or other types of conditions that are based on symptoms. There can be a whole spectrum of individuals that fall into this diagnosis, but the root cause can be so different for these individuals' children, and it can look so different from child to child. So just symptom-wise, it's usually characterized by persistent differences in communication. So they can have issues with, you know, either atypical speech or being nonverbal, the lack of development with speech. They can have trouble understanding nonverbal communication. It can make it really difficult for these children to have any sort of social interactions and really maintain that typical kind of back and forth conversation with an individual. And then they also, it's characterized by some form of restricted or repetitive behavior. So that can look like repeating sounds, maybe repetitive movements. So maybe rocking back and forth or flapping of the hands. They can have really restricted interests. So maybe they're really obsessed with dinosaurs and they all they want to do is play with dinosaurs and kind of taking them out of that can cause a lot of anxiety or just taking them out of their routine in general can cause a lot of anxiety. So it's these symptoms that really promote the diagnosis. And this is kind of a subjective, a, you know, a subjective diagnosis. There's no objective lab measurement that says you have autism or you don't have autism. So it requires a trained professional to do that intake and to diagnose it. And then when we look at the rates, as you mentioned, and I kind of alluded to before, the rates of autism have just skyrocketed over the last you know, two decades. So in 1995, there were about one in 500 children that were diagnosed to, with autism. And then you kind of flash forward to today, in 2020, the rates are now one in 54. So you can see like there's such a big difference between, yeah, the 90s and what it is today. And, you know, within that time frame, the DSM, which is the kind of the book that is the um, kind of Bible for diagnoses of various mental health conditions. And that's where we, we reference to for diagnosing autism. The diagnostic criteria in that book has changed. So in the late 90s and really in 2000, when they put out the new DSM-5, the diagnostic criteria did change. So that can account for some of the, the rise because now we are incorporating other disorders like Asperger's into the autism spectrum disorder category. But it really, you know, as a naturopathic doctor, as a biomedical doctor, it doesn't account for the drastic change. And I really strongly believe that environment plays a role. And that's why we see not only autism on the rise, but so many autoimmune conditions, eczema, you know, behavioral disorders, sensory processing disorders, the list goes on and on and on. You see these rates going up and up each and every year. And for me, it really roots back to what's changing in our environment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's compare maybe what a medical doctor would see as a cause of autism versus what a naturopathic doctor may consider as a cause or what may be some of the causes of autism. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, unfortunately, within the medical field, a lot of, I think there's some recognition that there's you know, primarily it's believed that genes are the cause. However, and they, and they may recognize that the environment plays a role. So potentially birth trauma, like the lack of oxygen during, during birth could, could play a role in impaired neurodevelopment. But they don't really have a concept beyond that in terms of what contributes to this triggering of these genes. So in naturopathic medicine or in functional medicine, we really understand that genes definitely play a role because we can have two children exposed to the exact same set of you know, environmental factors and one will develop autism and one won't. So there's absolutely this aspect of genetic predisposition. And 
I think, you know, I tell my patients and it's not to be like morbid at all, but I always say like, we've all been dealt a bad card of some form. And that just will tell us like what we will develop by being exposed to some of these environmental factors. So some of us will go on to develop heart disease. Some of us will be blood sugar irregularities and diabetes. Others will be autism. Others will be autoimmunity, be cancer. And so our genetics really determine how our body kind of progresses into the dysfunction, but treating it comes back to the same factors. The same factors that contribute to cancer are the same factors that contribute to autism. It's just what the body, how the body progresses in that dysfunction. So, you know, in our, in my kind of realm of treating autism or looking at really any autoimmunity neurodevelopment, but specifically autism, I kind of look at five main causes Mm -hmm. and that's, gut health. And I'm like, you'll probably hear this on so many episodes. We're a broken record as naturopathic doctors, but so many illnesses really hinge on the health of the gut. Toxicity, and that could be heavy metal toxicity, mold toxicity, you know, other environmental toxicities, immune system dysregulation. So there are a number of things that we see in children with autism to be of greater likelihood. So autoimmunity and things like eczema are tied into the autism diagnosis often. Mitochondrial health imbalances. So mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cells. And the simplest way to put this is that our brain requires energy in order to carry out its functions. And if we have mitochondrial dysfunction, we don't have that energy, then our brain cannot react or develop in in the same fashion as it would normally have. And then nutrient imbalances. And so I kind of will lead my patients through each of these five areas and really determine what within these five areas, not everyone has a dysfunction in each of them, but usually there's something in each child that is potentially going awry with one of these areas, at least one of these areas that we can start to address. And and that can lead to a whole improvement of of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I would think that you can have an issue going on in all five areas. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Because they're so interrelated, right? Like that's what we mm -hmm. see in every condition with naturopathic medicine. It's never, you know, we can't just sit here and say that it's all in the brain or it's all in the immune system without recognizing that the immune system is so tied with gut health. Yeah. Let's talk about, so when it's first discovered, would you say most of the time a parent is discovering it or is the doctor discovering when a child has autism first? Yeah. I mean, it it definitely can be both. I would say that the majority of individuals that walk into my practice, the parent has first kind of noticed the symptoms. And, And that's because our pediatricians, unfortunately, are only with our children like 15 minutes max at their yeah. well-child visit. So they don't have the full opportunity to do an evaluation. So mm-hmm. it is really important that parents are kind of understanding and, and looking at development. Obviously there's questionnaires and the pediatrician will get some sense of yeah. potentially developmental delays, but it's really in my just experience, it's the parents who really bring up the concerns. The pediatrician typically does a more thorough evaluation. And then if they are concerned, they'll usually pass them on to a specialist, either a psychologist or a specialist in childhood development who can do in-depth evaluation. Yeah. And what are the things that parents should be looking for? Let's say maybe new parents. Um, What are maybe some of the first signs that may show up and what could they be looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the biggest things that people will see is just delayed speech or language. 
And so that's one of the things that will be first noticed usually right after a year of age, they're not developing their words. And it's not always autism. So I don't want people to be, you know, children develop at all different stages. And, and so always speak with your pediatrician. But if you notice that your child is delayed in their speech, that would be one of the first things that we'll see. Other things are just like that social interaction. So you'll see that the babies maybe aren't making eye contact with their parents. And so when they're nursing, they're looking off at a light or they're looking off at some other object. And they're really more interested in objects than connecting with an individual. And so we really like to see children interacting with their parents, interacting with their caregiver and looking for that feedback, not just looking for, not just coming to their parents if they need something, but really desiring that, that interaction. So you might see that your child is, doesn't want to cuddle or is not really interacting with you, not looking at you. And, and that could be a sign as well. And then another sign that is probably one of the first is these stimming behaviors and then repeated vocalizations. For children, you know, head banging could be a sign if it's done repetitively or flapping of the hands, jumping again, over and over again. And that's that behavior, or they call this echolalia, but repeating sounds. So you, you say a certain word and the child repeats that over again, or repeats a particular phrase, or even just repeats a sound, like the child's not developing language, but they are grunting over and over again. So those are come some signs that, you know, I would say is worth an evaluation. And really the key here is early intervention. And that's whether we're talking about, you know, therapies, or speech therapy, but also from a biomedical or functional medicine approach. If the earlier we start, the better the outcomes we get, because if we can calm down the brain inflammation, if we can fix the gut early on, then the development, you know, our brain is rapidly, rapidly developing during those first three years. So the earlier we can get in there and kind of help create a homeostasis, the better the development will be during that time period. Do you see it as where a child could be on that road to autism and it's caught early and early intervention happens and then it can go to normal or is it yeah. going to be on that road, but maybe just not as aggressively on that road? I absolutely believe that autism is treatable. And this is like a very kind of controversial topic. And mm -hmm. it, it really just depends like when we're, we're triggered and, and the rate of the progression, how progressed it is. You know, triggers can begin as early as in utero. And we have a fair amount of research to show this. And I think this is why I'm so passionate about preconception care. And I love what you're doing with your preconception program and working with moms prior to that getting pregnant because it is so important that we become aware of these potential triggers early on so that we can take a preventative role and it really is started in utero but i do believe you know every child is so different but typically the earlier we catch it the less we have to do to gain more considerable results that's not to say that you know it's hopeless if your child's eight or nine or ten there's sure. still interventions that can be you know even into adulthood that can be helpful but they may have to do more to get less of a benefit there whereas children young are just so resilient i think that's what really attracted me to working with kids in chronic illness because unlike adults where we have layers upon layers upon layers and just some dysfunction that cannot be reversed. In children, there are simple things that can make such a huge impact. So it's, it's just a really very fulfilling job to see Absolutely. such big impacts in a short amount of time. Yeah. What I'd love to do is talk about preventative and then getting into more of what can be done to treat. And keep in mind, sure. you guys listening, we are not treating your kid. We're not, mm -hmm. you know, this is just general educational purpose and make sure you talk with your doctor about anything that we talk about. So 
let's let's pretend that let's say I'm let's say I'm pregnant with my second child. Let's say my first kid, you know, has autism, and I'm trying to do anything just preventatively on my side that I can do. So, what would be some thoughts like before? Let's say I'm not pregnant yet, but before yeah. I get pregnant, while I'm pregnant, maybe in the beginning of when I first have my child, what are just some things for me to kind of keep in mind, just preventatively? Yeah. So I love this conversation because this is really where my heart is, is trying to catch moms prior to pregnancy. So, um, and this is actually kind of why I became interested in preconception care because so many of my moms are in that scenario where their first child has autism or another autoimmune disorder. And now they're looking back and saying, what can we do differently? And this isn't necessarily to, you know, I don't like to promote any sort of guilt or shame because it could not have anything to do with mom. You know, there are so many other circumstances, but there are some things that we can do to knowingly decrease the risk. So one of the areas that I focus on is gut health. And again, it's because gut health is such an integral piece of a child's immune system development and their neurodevelopment, their brain health. And so what we know is especially in a vaginal birth, mom transfers her microbiome to baby. And children born via vaginal birth and C-section birth have drastically different microbiomes. And we, we know that the vaginal birth, if, you know, it's not always a possibility for all moms, but if you are able to have a vaginal birth, their microbiome is really dependent on yours. So you can pass on your bad microbes just as much as you can pass on your good microbes. So I focus a lot on how we can really promote a healthy microbiome. And we're really trying to get rid of two main species, which are very prevalent in the autism, in children with autism, and that is yeast and clostridia. Um, so those two species, we really want to try to eradicate from mom as those are known kind of causal factors in some autistic behaviors. Interesting. And so, yeah, it, it's really fascinating. There's so much we can do. I mean, it depends on where people are with their resources and their time. It would be great to get a whole stool panel and look at an animal's microbiome and have the time to really correct that. But gut health is definitely one of those factors that I, I like to promote. And even going forward, like breastfeeding, you're still transferring your microbiome through breast milk. And so th those are two big pieces that I like to focus on in the pre or microbiome in general is one big piece I like to focus on in the preconception time period. Mm -hmm. um, What's one thing yeah. that people are doing wrong for their gut health during this time? Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I feel like is unfortunate is that we know that children who are born via IVF have a higher rate of autism. And there's so many variables there that it's hard to like really piece out what the variable, you know, what exactly that is. And it's probably mm -hmm. not just one factor. But what we do know is that a mothers going through IVF are put on antibiotics prophylactically. And so mm -hmm. that's one thing that I would love to see kind of change or at least be supported in that time period. And so antibiotics, we, they wipe out the good bugs, but they don't, and they can really change the environment within the gut. And so that's something that sometimes they are necessary. We can't just eliminate the need for antibiotics altogether, but be able to support a mom during that time of antibiotics and restore the gut microbiome after is, is really crucial. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. And then let's say, you know, fast forward, now I'm pregnant or, or let's say even early on in my child's life and my, my, you know, next child that I have. So my first I have autism, second, um, I'm just, I just had anything for me to keep in mind just preventatively for my yeah. Now baby. Yeah. So 
gut health is one. Another factor that I really look into is toxicity. So, you know, when I first got into naturopathic medicine, I remember sitting into school and listening to environmental medicine class and just learning about toxins. And I come from a background of research and this whole word like toxins, just, I I couldn't get a full buy-in until I got out into clinical practice. And I really saw how much toxins played a role in chronic illness. And so, you know, there are so many more unregulated toxins within our environment than there ever were before. And children are more susceptible to environmental toxins compared to adults because they breathe in more air, they consume more food relative to their body size, and they're constantly, you know, picking things up off the ground, they're on the ground, and they're putting things in their mouth. So they do accumulate toxins more than adults do. And that exposure doesn't just begin like once they are born, but it actually starts in utero. Mm -hmm. So we know that moms transfer about 80% of their toxic load or the 80% of the toxins that moms are exposed to can then transfer to baby through the placenta. And the babies are actually shown to have a higher rate of bioaccumulation of some of these toxins in utero. And that could be partially because you know, potentially baby doesn't have elimination pathways in in utero. But really, I love for moms, I mean, if we can do it before, great. If we can do a detox, great. But then detoxification, it doesn't end there. We always have to be considering what we are exposing ourselves to during pregnancy and then in early childhood. You know, once you go down this pathway, it can be you can get a little bit in a rabbit hole. You know, we, are, we can't eliminate our toxic exposure completely. It's just impossible, but we're trying to eliminate that burden. So our body right. can detox, our children can detox, but we want to eliminate what we know that we can, what, you know, those, those big hitters. So what we're feeding our children through our foods, making sure we're not giving them pesticide-laden food. We're filtering our water. One of the main toxins that disrupts neurodevelopment is fluoride. And we drink that all the time. So, you know, filtering our water is so helpful. Changing our personal care products out. You know, those easy things to do that may not seem so easy at the time, but once they're done and once you have a new routine, it's easy to maintain. So that when you get an occasional exposure to something that maybe you couldn't control, your body is more able to handle or better able to handle that exposure. Yeah, absolutely. So for our kiddos who have the diagnosis of autism, what would that road look like perhaps going into the office of a medical doctor versus maybe seeing a naturopathic doctor? What type of approach would we have as NDs to uh, treating, treating the kiddo? Yeah, so there are just, there's a whole world of treatment, potential treatment and potential testing that you can do. And You know, when you first start to look into it, it can seem really overwhelming and and very almost cost prohibitive for some of these families. And what I would just encourage is that you don't have to go zero to 100. So you can start with some simple changes and some more basic testing. There are some families that want it all done right off the bat. and, And that's great. And if they have the resources, that's great. But you can still get really huge improvements with simple changes. And so at the, you know, at your primary care physician, unfortunately, there's not a lot of answers. There are certain um, psychiatric medications that can move the aggression or potentially could help the child focus or reduce some of their anxiety or their stimming behavior. 
but it's not getting to that root cause. And usually it has a plateau, so you don't see continued improvement and is associated with a whole series of side effects. Whereas if you're going to a functional medicine doctor or a naturopathic doctor, they're really going to break it down and work on establishing those foundations. So where did the dysfunction happen? And in a lot of this is history taking. So, you know, what, and this comes from symptoms give us history and then like the child's medical history, the family history can kind of tell us what is the likely dysfunction. And there are empiric treatments. You might not do any testing and you can still gather enough information to initiate care. And so it would look like a bunch of functional medicine testing, which is, you know, or I said, we should say a bunch of potential functional medicine testing. It just depends what feels right at that moment. But we'd be looking at the microbiome. We'd be looking at potential environmental toxins, toxin pathways, how our body is detoxing certain exposures. We could look at nutrient imbalances. So things like zinc and B6 and iron, um, methylation, all of those factors can really tell us a little bit more about why an individual is experiencing the symptoms they are. We could look at mitochondria function. So there's a number of, of tests we could do to further identify that underlying dysfunction so that we can better choose an appropriate therapy. And therapies are really wide ranging. So you may start with diet, something like a gluten-free, casein-free diet. You could go higher interventions and use some supplementation. There are some other medications that are even helpful because they treat the root cause. And that's the key here. Instead of suppressing symptoms with medication, we're using medications to treat neuroinflammation, to get rid of yeast or bacteria, to really treat that root cause. What would be maybe five of the most common tests that you would run? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the most common tests that I run pretty much off the bat is an organic acid test. An organic acid test tests for a numerous things. I like to call it my triage test. So it's not diagnostic for anything, but it gives us a great starting spot and it tells us if we need further testing in one of those areas. So within an organic acid test, it's a urine test. So it's very easy to collect from a kiddo. And we will be looking at gut function. We'll be looking at oxalate levels, which can cause a lot of mood disturbances in children. We'll look at neurotransmitter breakdown. We can look at nutrient levels and toxic metabolites. It'll tell us about mitochondrial function. So you can gain a ton of information from that one test. And then that's a good platform to then jump off from there and do further investigation. So potentially if we know that the child has a lot of gut dysfunction, we could follow that up with a stool panel and kind of confirm some of these imbalances that we suspect or determine if there's anything further that maybe the organic acid test didn't pick up. When it comes to nutrient deficiencies, these are tests that I like to kind of test further because I don't think the organic acid test tests them as well as some other, you know, other testing does. So one of the areas of my specialty is something I call nutrient-based psychiatry. And I use this in moms, adults, children with and without autism, really any sort of emotional dysregulation. And really what we know about neurotransmitters is that they're made up of nutrients. So we have a nutrient imbalance, we can have a neurotransmitter imbalance. And it, it sounds super simple, and it really is that simple, and it's really effective. So if we can identify some key nutrient imbalances like copper-zinc imbalances or things being off with B6 or methylation, and we can correct that, that can drastically change a child's aggressive outbursts or anxiety. So that's a test I personally use a lot. I know a lot of other functional medicine doctors may not use that, but I found it to be really helpful in my Is that a blood test? 
It's a blood and urine test. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so some parents are, you know, more comfortable than others having their child's blood drawn. So it's not always in the first kind of realm of testing, but it can be really helpful. Which lab was that you're talking about the deficiency? Yeah. So I use for the, from the neurotransmitter perspective, I use a lab called DHA labs Mm -hmm. and it's called, um, it's the metabolic panel plus, and that's Mm -hmm. the lab that I'll use. There's a couple of other labs, you know, a ton of labs, but one of the other labs that I commonly run is called the FRACT. And what it's looking for is folate receptor antibodies. So we're learning more and more about this, but we know that some children have antibodies. So essentially their body is attacking folate receptors within the brain. And in these children, it is super helpful if they can be on high dose folinic acid. And so this is a prescription, but it can be game changing for these children. And there's a test to identify that. And even if they have a negative test, it doesn't mean that they're not going to respond to the folate. But when they do have an autoimmune response there, that is definitely something that we would treat. So, you know, we could go on and on. There's tests for mitochondrial dysfunction and, and that's blood or, you know, the organic acid test or a swab. And then there's a lot of different tests for toxicity. So we could look at environmental toxins like pesticides and things like endocrine disruptors like phthalates and BPA. We could look at mold toxins and we could look at heavy metals like mercury, arsenic, lead, and cadmium. So there are different testing for each of them. And really the symptoms and the clinical picture will help us determine which test is going to be the most helpful. Yeah. So the folate receptor antibody test, is that just a a blood test that you get? Yes, it's a blood test. And it's called like LabCorp or what do you get that through? Yeah, it's a special test. So the lab is Moleculera and it's, uh, it's called FRAT. It's F-R-A-T test. Okay, cool. And then what about the mitochondria testing? What do you like to use for that? So the mitochondria testing, there's, I, I typically will use a start off with an organic acid test just because mm-hmm. it's, it's simple. You could go further and do blood testing as well. So you could look at things like acetylcarnitine panel. You could look at AST, which is a liver enzyme. Mm-hmm. You could look at um, different things like pyruvate or lactate. So there's mm-hmm. other labs that you can, but one of the easiest ways, that's why I really like the organic acid test. It's just simple and straightforward and it's urine. It's so cool. I love this because it's everybody's so different. You can have two kids that are coming in with autism and there's two different reasons for, for both of them. What would you say would be over the years of you specializing in this? What are some common themes that you're seeing in your autistic kiddos? Yeah. So, you know, I like to kind of, one of the things is that even though I don't, our goal is not to suppress symptoms, um, but our symptoms really help us determine what are those underlying dysfunctions. And so when, you know, what I try to do with families is try to determine, not every child has the same presentation. So really determine what is their presentation. So for instance, like if there is mitochondrial issues, which is almost 80% of children with autism have some form of mitochondrial concerns, you're going to see things like regression. So they were doing really well, and then they started to regress. Their, maybe their cognitive development or their handwriting regressed or their speech regressed. You might see things like lack of muscle tone. So these children be more clumsy or they have issues with fine motor skills like holding their pencil or articulation with their speech. So those are some signs that there might be a mitochondrial dysfunction. When it comes to things like 
you know, sensory issues, which is really, really common, we'll start to see potentially like gastrointestinal concerns. So a lot of like fungal or bacterial overgrowth can be associated with sensory issues or vitamin deficiencies. Almost all of my children have some degree of nutrient deficiency. And this is where it becomes a little bit tricky to determine like, you know, when we're looking at this, it can become really overwhelming. And we always have like take a step back and determine like where should we start first and primarily in most children we're going to start with gut function first really because if we don't have adequate gut function so if, if there's some form of bacterial overgrowth or leaky gut then we're not going to get proper nutrient absorption so we can be pumping them full of oral vitamins but they're not going to be absorbing them appropriately if there's you know unhealthy gut function that have immune system dysregulation so we're going to have more likelihood for or eczema uh, asthma you know atopic conditions, which are also triggering to the brain. So that I would say that it's kind of to boil it down where I would start is likely the gut concerns first and treat that, get a really thorough examination. And like I said, the two most common imbalances are clostridia overgrowth and yeast overgrowth, but there are other things within that. And then kind of determine through with your functional medicine doctor or biomedical doctor, or naturopathic doctor, what's the biggest concern after that because again like we we can't treat everything at once i think that this has been a really huge learning curve for me in my career is that we get eager and we just want parents and kids we want them to feel better and so it's super easy to throw a bunch of things at them um, but it doesn't yield good results and it's not very good science we really want to try to do it one variable at a time so we can really assess what's working Mm -hmm. and so we can't go into our doctor expecting that in you know three visits our child is going to be completely back to normal or healed. Um, it does take time, and this is it takes layers. And so I usually segment it out like because we may not need that testing later on or that particular console way if another found is improved. Yeah. So I usually take it in seeds, and I usually start with the gut. And then probably go into nutrient deficiencies just because it's one of those easy things for parents to incorporate versus, you know, something like immune regulation takes a bit of time and a little bit more of an investment. How much about vaccines do you want to go into? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable going into as much as you can. So I think, you know, the reason the vaccinations is such a hot topic and I do a lot of vaccine counseling in my practice and When we look at the literature out there, and we could argue that there's been a number of papers that have been taken down, but the majority of research does not associate vaccinations with autism. However, you know, when we're looking at theoretical causes or some other papers, there is absolutely in my mind a potential association here and so for me it's really two different factors one is that there are ingredients that are within certain vaccinations not every vaccine but certain vaccinations that are directly neurotoxic and you know aluminum specifically is one that is very controversial at this time and i personally feel like we do not have strong enough data to be able to port the dose that we're giving to children so that is one ingredient that we could say has a potential fact. But what I find to um, be the case, at least with the population that I work with, is that we all focused on like the direct toxicity impacts, but we're missing a huge piece of this in that I really feel like part of the potential association is actually 
in regards to the way that it stimulates the immune system. And so with autism, you know, there's immunologists out there and, you know, I've heard several of them at conferences say that autism is really an immune disorder until proven otherwise. And there's a lot of association between autoimmune disease in family and increased rates of autism or maternal antibodies in autism and atopic disease in autism. So we know that even when we're talking about brain inflammation, inflammation is immune mediated. Now, inflammation occurs after a vaccine. We want that. That's part of the body's ability to respond appropriately and build titers. But if there is an individual who's genetically susceptible to a dysregulated immune response, then there's a potential that that immune system could be prolonged. It could be you know, hyper-inflammatory. It could contribute to more inflammation with the brain. That is something we don't want. And so when I'm looking at vaccines, what I really want to do is avoid overstimulating an immune system and someone who's potentially genetically susceptible, as well as reducing any sort of cumulative damage from aluminum. And it really comes down to the fact that, you know, like I said at the beginning, not every child has those same sort of genetic predispositions. But in children who do have those genetic predispositions, we really have to be careful about what they are potentially exposed to. And I put vaccines in that lump of environmental exposures. Mm-hmm. So just so I'm hearing you, are you saying that you're not, you're not anti-vaccine altogether and you also aren't linking it directly that autism is caused by, by vaccinations, but from what you've seen, there is an association and, and it's very complex and it depends on a person's overall, I guess, burden of toxicity mm-hmm. and it all is connected, right? With them as an individual. Would you say that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, we, yes. And I think clinically speaking, I've, I've seen impacts, I've seen regressions post-vaccine. And I really attribute this largely to the way that it interacts with the immune system and the inflammatory response afterwards. And yes, however, I mean, part of what I do is I do a lot of vaccine consults and I just finished putting together a large vaccine program with Dr. Alana Rumel. And yeah. our goal is to just help parents learn how to safely vaccinate our children. There are adverse reactions and that is a fact and we cannot ignore that. And there are benefits to vaccination. So how do we kind of do the best of both worlds? How do we reduce these risks, the risk of adverse reaction, be mindful about how we are using these vaccines and still offer our children that protection? Yeah. Is this program for parents who know they want to vaccinate their kids who are on the fence and also who do not want to? Is it kind of across the board? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that anyone could get benefit from it. And we like parents, like the earlier on, the better, I think. But, you know, we have parents of every stage just wanting to learn more because this is information that is so guarded, so censored, and super biased. It's really difficult to come find information that's down the middle that you can really, you know, be able to make that choice as a parent and and feel confident and and empowered in that choice. And so that's our goal through, through this education. One thing that's so cool as naturopathic doctors is we can see patients in our practice who are already healthy, that just want to be healthier. You don't have to be Mm -hmm. sick to be seen as a patient. So let's talk about just general wellness kinds of things for, for kids. For your daughter, do you have her on any particular supplements? Anything? Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely. Great. So first off, I think, and it comes back to the same sort of factors, you know, number one, we want to support their gut health from the very beginning. And I inevitably something's going to go wrong that or it's not even wrong, but something's going to go in a way that maybe we didn't have planned. So, but the good thing about gut health is that there's lots of ways to recuperate that. So ideally, like we would love to have a vaginal birth. If that doesn't happen, not to worry, there's places that we can support the gut. Ideally, we would want to be able to child breast milk again. If not, there's ways to support the mouth. We want to be able to expose them to as many foods as possible to build that microbiome. So diversity is key. Lots of fruits and vegetables really will feed those good bacteria. We want to be able to, you know, give them fermented foods like yolks or kefir, sauerkraut, kombucha even. And if they're not getting them, that's the role of a probiotic. You know, there are ways to supplement your child's diet if they're not the best eater. So I think gut health is really primary. And, you know, if an antibiotic comes up, you know, they happen, sometimes we need them and that's okay. There are ways to support your child around that probiotic or that antibiotic to ensure that they maintain a healthy microbiome. So really supporting the microbiome is one aspect. If I could have every child on like two supplements, it would probably be vitamin D because it's super immunomodulatory. And we know that children with autism have lower amounts of vitamin D as well as like children with atopic disease, like eczema, allergies, and asthma, as well as autoimmunity. So vitamin D is super crucial. And then a fish oil, like an omega supplement. And so I definitely have my daughter on an omega supplement and DHA is the omega-3 that is really responsible for brain development. And it accumulates in the baby's brain from about birth through two years of age. So super important that moms are on an omega-3 during pregnancy. And then during that, you know, breastfeeding time, the omega-3 during your, through your breast milk. And then as soon as they're not um, breastfeeding anymore, that they're on an omega-3 supplement themselves. Mm-hmm. Love it. And it's so easy. You can put these things like for my son, Zion, he's a year and a half. And I put, he still does breast milk morning and night. So I just throw it in his, in his, um, bottle, but he's been really into smoothies lately. You could put it in the smoothie. Very, very easy. I love it. Dr. Ari, is there anything else? We've just like, just gone through so much good stuff. Yeah. No, I think I haven't touched on. (laughs) No, that is, I mean, most of what I really wanted to be able to share. I think the biggest things that I just want to encourage parents is that regardless of whether they are on their stage, there are ways to help your child go through life less symptomatic, right? Like we're not here to change who they are. We're here to just make it a little bit easier for them to reduce those pain points. And there's so many possibilities out there. So if, you know, if you're starting to notice these symptoms, early intervention is key. Just elicit the support of a community, get, you know, get into a group of other moms who are experiencing something similar. And then also know that every child is different. So if your child didn't respond in the same way, that's not to say that they're not going to respond. They just might need a different approach. Mm-hmm. And so, so much you can do. And um, there's some great organizations out there. There's an organization and their acronym is TACA, which is the Autism Community in Action. I think that they are a tremendous resource for any parent who is just new into exploring functional medicine for their child or just autism in general, just the programs and the options they have for treatment and for support. So I would highly recommend checking them out. Mm-hmm. And for you guys listening, if you have not gone the route of seeing a naturopathic doctor or functional medicine doctor, 
definitely consider it because it's a whole different world of medicine as you have heard for the last almost hour. So thank you so much, Dr. Ari, for joining us and for giving us so much of your knowledge to help our listeners. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to connecting with you soon. Yeah, thank you. It was a great time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.